I'm, I'm pretty excited because I, I, can't, I genuinely can't think of a topic that's more exciting um, than what we're going to be looking at tonight. Because we're going to be focusing on, on sharing a gift with the world about taking the good news of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ outside of our church building and outside of our homes and into the lives of, of people that we know. And, and part of the reason that we're going to be doing that tonight is because in a few weeks' time, we've got one of our Alpha courses starting. If, you've, if you're not familiar with what Alpha is, it's this course where people can come along and just explore issues of faith over a series of weeks. And um, now's the time for us as a church to start get ex- getting excited about who we might invite along to that. There's a flash there showing you the date and everything. You can, you can sign up tickets for the launch um, at the Connect area, or there's a link to do it on your phone in the bulletin if you want that. And also, on your seat tonight, um, there's, a, there's these little flyers as well that just give you some of the basics about Alpha, how to get in touch, and the dates of the course that's coming up. So do have a think about who you'd like to invite along to that. And by the way, if you think of somebody during this talk, um, go, go ahead and get your phone out and give them a text. I won't judge you in the way that I usually would if I saw you playing with your phone. You kind of got a an, an, an amnestice on that. Is that the right word? Armist something, yeah. You're allowed to do it tonight, yeah, definitely. So anyway, that's Alpha, but, but this topic of sharing our faith, of course, and the gospel is so much bigger than, than Alpha. And I'm hoping that this topic, as big as it is, is something that, that everybody can engage with tonight on some kind of level. You know, if you've been a follower of Jesus for a number of years or for some time, this uh, idea of, of sharing that faith that you have with others, um, uh, we, we use the word evangelism to describe it sometimes, that's something that, that those of us who've been following Jesus for a while is something that we need reminding of every now and again. But likewise, it might be that you are here tonight and, and you're at the very start of your journey of following Jesus. It's, it's something that's brand new to you, or you may be even unsure about what you believe yourself, and you're thinking, I don't know if I've got enough faith for myself, let alone enough to share with others. Well, I would say if that's you, then even the fact that you're here tonight and you're on that spiritual journey is something that's worth sharing and could be a blessing to people around you. And hopefully, as we'll see um, as we go through this, even the tiniest little seed of faith inside of you, um, it carries a power with it that has the ability to impact uh, the lives of those around you. Now, having said all of that, sharing your faith isn't always easy, is it? Um, for me, I have to admit, it, it doesn't always come that easy. It isn't the most sort of natural thing for me in a way. And sometimes even when I do try and, and step out and, and share the gospel, um, whether it's with my words or in my actions, it doesn't always go the way that, that I planned. For example, um, a couple of weeks, or no, a few weeks ago now, um, I was on my way to the corner shop um, one lunchtime when I noticed this homeless guy um, in the laundrette in Stapleford. And as I was walking past, um, I'd seen him a couple of times that week before, and I just felt as though God was saying, you need to go in and invite him round for lunch. So that's what I did. Meanwhile, my wife, Abby, she's at home with the kids, and she is preparing the lunch. And it kind of occurred to me at that point, oh, is this going to be a bit weird? Like, when I sort of come home, I'm like, hi, Abby, hi, kids, here's our new mate, here's our new friend. Could be awkward, but fortunately, Abby and I had already had that conversation, and we decided that 
if either of us ever decides that we want to do something spontaneously generous for God and just feel prompted to do that, then, then we've agreed that, that both of us will get on board with it in the moment and just, just do it, and then we'll do a debrief later <laughs> to see whether it was a wise choice. We've had a few interesting conversations around, around that. So, but on this occasion, it turns out that actually um, he couldn't leave the laundrette because all of his stuff was in the machines and his stuff was there, so, so he couldn't come round, but he did, he did ask for some lunch. I said, no problem, I'll nip home, fetch a pack up for you and bring it, bring it to you. So I'm heading back to the laundrette with my Tupperware box, and it was only at that point that I began to sort of realise I haven't really thought this through properly because all of this was unfolding on a Sunday lunchtime. And so when I said to this chap, you know, we're about to sit down for our lunch, I'm guessing he probably thought along the lines of, you know, Yorkshire pudding, beef, gravy, like a roast dinner, because it's Sunday lunchtime, or something reasonably substantial. But the, the thing that I had in my Tupperware box was um, a grilled halloumi salad with some pita bread. So I sort of gave it to him, and I hadn't really thought it through, but he opened it, and he was like, what's this? And I was like, oh, it's a, it's a grilled halloumi salad with a bit, bit of pita bread on the side. And I kind of like, you know, when you, as you're finishing a sentence, it just peters out. And I realized this wasn't what he wanted because I was trying to share with him good news. And I'd forgotten salad isn't good news, is it? <laughs> and so he just said thanks and, and put it on the bench beside him. And and the conversation didn't go the way I hoped it had. And this is all a bit awkward, really, considering what I do for a living, because I probably should be a bit better at this sort of thing. Um, but when I, find, I find when I try and share my faith, I'm, I'm prone to making awkward mistakes like that. And sometimes I struggle to keep my head in the game. Um, apparently, now that the tram is coming along um, past the church, as people come over the, hill, the brow of the hill there or along Lenton Lane, they see the building, and it's sparking lots of conversations about Trent Vineyard. Um, and the other day, I caught the tram here, and when I got here, one of, my, one of my friends, Emily, who works here, she was like, oh, you came on the tram. Did you have a conversation with anybody about Jesus? And my answer, honestly, was no. I was reading a book about evangelism. <laughs> and, yeah. and I don't know how you find all of this, but or what comes to your mind when you think of like your classic evangelist? But curiously, for me, the person who comes to my mind, first of all, is not a Christian. He's not a believer. Or if he does have a faith, it's, it's, it's the tiniest, tiniest seed. Um, but it's a really good friend of mine, my mate Matt. And we were best men at each other's weddings, and, and, and we, we get on great. And I love him. He's great. He's got loads of banter. Um, he gets people on board with his ideas. He's really, really winsome. And um, just to give you a bit of an idea of what he's like, a few, few years ago, he was working as a traveling salesman um, for this company where, where they would give the team a different product to sell each week, and they would have to go door-to-door, -door, on foot, doing this. It was really hard work, um, heavily commission-based. Um, and on this particular week, they were selling this, this like booklet that gave you discounts and vouchers for, for Domino's Pizza. That's what they were trying to sell. And he was working in this really affluent area, lots of massive houses. And he, and he hears this rumor that, um, that Rod Stewart, the famous singer, I don't know, does everybody know, even the youth, you wouldn't know who Rod Stewart was necessarily, but basically, there's a slide of him coming up. He sold over 100 million records. Apparently, he lives, there he is, he lives in the area. And so Matt decides that if he is gonna do nothing else that day, he's gonna track down Rod's house 
and try and sell him a Domino's pizza voucher. So he had to walk miles out of his way to do it. He had to keep on knocking on people's doors. Does Rod live here? No, he's up the road. On and on it went. And then even he, he did eventually find the house. And then this housekeeper answers the door, so he has to blag his way in past her. But eventually he does it. And he's sat inside Rod's lounge. And Rod comes in. Matt turns on the charm offensive. They start to chat. Rod goes and fetches some drinks. And they have a, have a, have a drink and a bit more of a chat. And then, and then Matt nails into his sales pitch. And he actually managed to do it. He sold Rod Stewart the Domino's pizza voucher, which is great. And so it was time to leave. And as Matt um, was heading for the door, um, Rod said, oh, Matt, what's the matter with your shoe there? And, um, and the, the sole of Matt's shoe had come loose. And Matt explained, oh, it's because I have to walk like so many miles a day. My shoes are falling to bits. Rod said, wait there. And he left the room, and he came back a moment later, with a tube of glue and, uh, and fixed Matt's shoe. Now, that story gives you a bit of a glimpse um, into my friend's personality, and, and, and it gives you some insight into why I think he will make a great evangelist one day. Um, because he's got a lot of banter, he's got great people skills, but more importantly, when he's on a job, he's like a dog with a bone. He just keeps on going. If I'd have been with him that day, and I've been with him in certain situations where this has happened, I've been like, oh, Matt, are you, is it really worth this effort? Like, it's a hot day. We can't find this guy. And, and, and is a millionaire rock star really going to want a discount pizza voucher? But Matt's the kind of guy who would have said to me, well, there's only one way to know for sure, and it's to put the thing under his nose and ask him. And of course, that's the attitude that, that, that was needed. That's why he came away with the spoils on the day. He made the sale, he got his shoe fixed, and best of all, or worst of all, in my, in my view, he came away with this story that I must have heard a hundred times. And so that's why it was Matt that I was reminded of as I was looking at this, um, this passage in the Bible recently um, from, from the letter of Romans, which urges those of us who are followers of Jesus to put in that same kind of legwork and focus and clarity, sorry, um, what's the word? Ownership, when it comes to this task of bearing the good news about Jesus to the world. Um, it's from Romans chapter 10, and it, it just starts in verse 13. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. And this passage um, is taken, um, as I say, from the letter of Romans, which was written by this guy called Paul to the early churches um, that started up in, in, in Rome. And the church at this stage, it was, it was, it was tiny. Um, it was small, and it had yet to, to take root all around the world in the way that it has today. And Paul, in an effort to, to spur the church on, to grow out to the borders of the Roman Empire and beyond, he asks them these really probing questions, which are still relevant for us today. He asks them, how will they come to know Jesus if somebody doesn't go and tell them? And how can they respond to the gospel if nobody preaches it to them? And how will people preach if they're not sent to do that? And so my aim today is that we would feel 
sent. Sent into our communities and our, and our workplaces. Sent into our friendship groups. Even sent, I know it might sound strange, but into our own streets to ensure that people hear and see the good news about Jesus. And so I've got um, just a few questions to help us focus on that as we look at it together. And here's the first question for us all tonight. Are you taking ownership? Are you taking ownership? The Bible makes it really clear, I think, that, that it's not our job to save people or to redeem people. That's Jesus' job. But there is a job in all of this um, that does fall squarely on our plate, a job that was given to us explicitly by Jesus when he gave us the Great Commission, that we are the ones that need to go and share the gospel and take the good news about Jesus all around the world. And so it leaves us with the question, are we willing to embrace that, to take ownership for the people in our lives who have yet to hear and know Jesus? And I think this is quite a challenging question for us to hear and ask ourselves because, because we do live in a time and a culture, I think, where, where a lot of the stuff that needs to be done in our lives is taken care of for us by somebody else. We live in a, in a bit of a, of a they culture, I think, where, you know, like most of the clothes that we're, made, that we're wearing, for example, they're made by, by them in another country, or most of the food we eat is grown by them somewhere else. We talk about, you know, oh, they've dug the road up, or oh, they really should do something about that area. We do have this culture, I think, of, of deferring responsibility for things to, to them, whoever they are. But of course, there's some jobs that aren't for them. Here's an interesting um, little graph um, which shows church membership as a population, as a percentage of the population in the UK since the, the turn of the last century. Hopefully it should come up in a second. So you might not be able to see that, but basically around about 1900, church membership was up at 30, 35%, and it's steadily dropped down to 10%. And um, this graph doesn't tell the whole story of what the church is, what's happening in the church by any means. Of course, there is large parts of the church that are, that are growing. This church is growing. The vineyard is growing. Um, there are lots of Pentecostal churches and Anglican churches and churches of all denominations that are growing them, that have, that have life in them. And there are sort of other cultural trends that have contributed to that downward trend. But even allowing for that, it doesn't look good, that graph, does it? Dropping from 30 down to 10. And there's a temptation to look at that picture and say, wow, they should really do something about that. But in this case, the Bible tells us that they... Them is us. It's you and me. It's the church's job to engage with that issue. So how do we do that? If we wanted to do it, how do we engage and take ownership of this job of, of, of sharing the gospel and taking the good news outside of this building? Well, in, in practice, it works out in a myriad of ways. It will look different for each of us depending on who we're talking to and what the situations are. But just um, one little story, just an example, to get the sort of creative juices flowing and get us thinking. A couple of weeks ago, um, I was riding on my bike, and um, I, I, I overtook um, somebody, um, information that's not strictly crucial to the story, but I just wanted you to know that I did overtake somebody. And I was running a bit late, and I pulled my phone out of my pocket to check the time, and behind me, I heard this guy shout, hey, you! And I thought, oh, he's probably a bit cross that I'm cycling with my phone. So I put it back in my pocket and I carried on. But he carried on. He was like, hey, you! 
And so I thought, oh, perhaps it's important. And I stopped. And as I turned, he cycled up to me, and he handed me um, a £10 note. And he said, this dropped out of your pocket. It dropped out of my pocket when I pulled my phone out. And he handed it to me, and he just cycled on. So I thought, I've got to say thank you to him. So I, I caught up with him again. And um, I cycled up alongside him. I was like, mate, thank you so much. Not everybody would have done that. And he said, immediately, he said, will I follow Jesus? And uh, Jesus taught me to be honest and generous. Um, And he started telling me about Jesus, citing Bible verses. Um, He was a really, really nice guy. And he did it in a really great way. And we had a little chat, and I cycled on. And I was just so challenged by his example because... The moment I tried to thank and praise him, he immediately pointed me to Jesus. You know, any praise, any credit that I tried to send his way, he just deflected it up towards Jesus and pointed me to him. It was as if his attitude was, this is probably the only conversation I'm going to have with this guy, so I'm going to tell him where my generosity and my honesty comes from. And I thought, that is it. That's that's taking ownership of the gospel. And And it really challenged me. In my conversations... Am I always ready, as the Bible asks us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, with a reason for the hope that I have? And I would ask, have you, are you always ready? Are you taking ownership of this mantle of sharing the good news? So that's the first question. Second question. When it comes to evangelism, sharing our faith, um, if you're taking ownership, that's great. Second question, though, are you then willing to embrace the legwork that comes with it? Are you putting in the legwork? A bit like my mate Matt that I talked about a moment ago, it was one thing to decide that Rod Stewart needed to hear about the amazing Domino's deals, but it was another thing altogether to track him down in the summer heat and to overcome the protective housekeeper and present the thing to him. In the same way, sharing the gospel, it requires legwork of us. Going back to that Romans passage that we read a moment ago, I don't know whether you noticed, but, but after Paul asked us those challenging questions, he capped it off with this slightly bizarre statement, how beautiful are the feet of him who bring good news. And I don't know whether that struck you in the moment. It's a slightly weird phrase, isn't it? Like, evangelists, beautiful feet. don't know where the connection is. And it's an interesting little statement because it's actually a quote from, from an Old Testament book um, of Isaiah, In Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. That's where Paul got it from. Who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. And and, and this passage was written about five or six hundred years before the Romans one, at a point where the nation of Israel were at kind of a bit of a a low point in their history. Uh, The nation was falling apart, and, and, and these words, they kind of point forward to a time of, of promise and hope when somebody was going to come and give the nation good news instead. And at the time, you know, the prospect of good news about happiness and peace and salvation, it was unthinkably optimistic to them because their nation was just broken beyond belief. It was a time of bad news, but it was actually a true prophecy because it was pointing forwards to the time of Jesus when Jesus was going to come and and give them a a message of good news, the good news of the kingdom of God. And that's what he did. He came walking from town to town, preaching liberty to the captives and freedom to the poor and salvation and healing. 
and then passing that message on to his disciples and encouraging them to go and share it with the world. And that's how it happens. So, so in both of those um, passages, in the Isaiah one and the Romans one, this phrase about the beautiful feet, it's pointing towards a, an image that, that actually the people at the time would have been really familiar with. And that is that if news was, was good enough or important enough to be shared, then the only way to share it was for a person to physically go from place to place, taking it there. And that's why um, the feet that were bringing good news had a, had, a, had a beauty to them. But it also points out that, that sharing that news, even good news, was hard work. And I think that can get a little bit lost on us today because today, sharing news, especially good news, is easy, isn't it? Like if you get engaged or you have a, a child or something like that, your anniversary, you just whack it on Facebook, 50 likes, no big deal. It's really easy. But for some reason... Sharing the good news about Jesus is still hard work, isn't it? And we all know this, don't we? Like, I don't need to tell you that, that, that sharing about a, a new restaurant that you've just discovered is so much easier, isn't it? It's so much easier to, to, to talk about um, the new TV show that you've started watching, an amazing box set, or it's so much easier to share a funny clip that you've found on the internet. And I don't know whether you've ever stopped to think, why is that? Why is it that, that when we consider um, asking our friend to come along to church or sharing our story with them in some way and engaging with faith, suddenly all these reasons jump into our head not to. We start to think, oh, it's going to make our friendship awkward if it doesn't pan out. Or, oh, I would invite my friend along to Alpha, but I just don't think they're the kind of person that would be into it. Or, you know, I just don't think they're ready. And the truth is, the message of the gospel that we're carrying inside of us is universal. The Bible tells us this. It tells us that it's for, for everyone. If we skip back just a verse or two in, in, in Romans chapter 10 to verse 11, it says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew, Jew and Greek, like in other words, everybody. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Something that struck me about this, um, earlier this week, um, S- Steve Barber, who, who leads the Leicester City Vineyard, he came to spend some time with some of the staff team here. And as he ex- um, shared his experience of, of ministry over the years, one thing that he really emphasized and, and tried to emphasize uh, was he said, the gospel works. You know, you give people the invitation to know Jesus and they will come towards him. And so... It's not our job to to try and decide who does and doesn't get to hear the gospel. It's simply our job to put in the legwork so that everybody does. And of course, that's the thing that takes time and commitment. Legwork is about plugging away and sticking at it and starting the conversation and picking the conversation up and, and, and initiating and extending the invitation. You have to think dog with a bone, but with compassion and love and generosity, obviously. Um, one of the pastors uh, who works here with me, Joe Gresty, she was telling me a story about this that I think really embodies this legwork principle. A friend of hers, um, she came to faith, um, but her husband at, at that time didn't. And so she found herself in, in a marriage where she had a faith 
uh, and he didn't. And, and I'm sure there'll be people in the room um, right now who, who are in that very situation themselves and, and won't need me to tell you that it's a, that's a difficult situation because no matter what you do, there's nothing that you can do to make somebody choose to follow Jesus. You can't do that. But what you can do and what, what she decided to do was put in the legwork of just praying and praying and praying for him and showing her husband through her life um, what a life following Jesus looks like. So she, she, she constantly wanted to just be consistently loving and, and, and compassionate and, and, and consistently um, faithful to him in, in, regardless of what mood he'd been in. And, and he began to pick that up. But in her case, it got to the point where she had tried everything and she, she, she concluded that it would need to be a miracle to change the situation. And she went to bed praying that. And, um, and he woke up, she woke, he woke up, in, bolt upright in the middle of the night, sat up in bed, said, I need to make a decision, don't I? And she sort of woke up and was like, yes. And he gave his life to Jesus there and then. And I believe that was, that was Jesus' sovereign power to save partnered with her love and commitment and legwork. You know, when we hear stories about these amazing evangelists, anyone got a friend who just always seems to have a conversation? You're like, oh, I met this person on the bus and they just gave their life to Jesus. It was amazing. You're like, oh, that's cool. I think those people who see those kind of things, they're also probably the people who see the most rejection too. The people who are always in the right place at the right time, my hunch is they're also spend a lot of time in the right place at the wrong time, waiting. Those who see dramatic, spontaneous conversions uh, are probably the same people who, who unspontaneously, methodically pray for weeks and months and years. And they're keeping their head in the game all the time. When the opportunity comes, they're ready to engage. They're not sat on the tram with their nose in a book about evangelism like somebody I know. Now, of course, God is God, and these aren't rules. If he decides that he, that he wants somebody to, to know him, if he decides he's going to reach out to them, he'll do that how and when he wants. He also has grace so that he will come and bless our efforts to share our faith, no matter how tiny they are. So what I'm not saying is that, you know, if you want somebody to come to faith, you need to pray for a certain amount of time or do a certain amount of legwork. There's no formula. But what I am saying is that I think there is merit in legwork. It does certainly help. And so are you willing to put it in? That's the second question. And the final question before we go tonight is, is, is this. Do you want to be beautiful? And it's kind of a rhetorical question, I suppose, because everybody wants to be beautiful, don't they? Most of us, we spend more time in front of the mirror than we probably should. And we spend money on clothes and like potions and things to make us look better. But, but here in the Bible, I don't know what women buy, potions or creams. Here in the Bible, we get insight into, into something that is, that's truly beautiful in the eyes of God. And those are the only eyes that matter. And it is the feet of those who are bringing good news. And it's, it is a weird statement because in all likelihood, it was a little bit ironic thinking about the feet of those messengers in biblical times. Like, newsflash, Jesus' feet were probably a bit of a state. They probably weren't that physically beautiful. I know we have this image of him as this male model that we see in lots of pictures and images and things, but his feet were probably worn and cut and bruised 
from the terrain and the climate. They were probably filthy from the road and the dust and the muck that he picked up as he went from place to place sharing the good news. And the feet of his disciples were probably the same and the feet of Paul were doubtlessly the same. But in all of those cases, their feet were actually beautiful, not because of their form or their condition, but because of the message that they carried, a message of, of a breathtakingly good news for the whole world. And this applies to you and me too. You know, you might not have felt it on the way here, but the Bible tells us that if you're a follower of Jesus, you have this beautiful message inside of you that's available for you to give as a gift to the world. It's not, you know, it's amazing. It's not like we're trying to sell Domino's pizza vouchers here. This is the message of Jesus. Here in Romans, it, it talks about it. If you skip back to verse eight, it says, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. You know, when something carries news that beautiful, it can't help become beautiful itself. Can't help but become beautiful itself. A little bit of an illustration to try and, you know, help remember this. Um, I'm guessing Abby and I, we're probably not the only couple in this church to have um, one of these things that's going to come up on the screen in a cupboard somewhere in our house. It's a, it's a pregnancy indicator. And to us, we've got two of these, one for each of our kids. Um, and um, we, don't, we don't treasure them because they're beautiful objects. They're ugly. They're plastic. Somebody's done a wee on them. But... <laughs> But they're treasures of ours because they carried the most wonderful, life-changing news. And some of you who are here today, I believe that is a picture of you. You may not feel beautiful right now. You may not feel that appealing. You've probably come here with worries and concerns of your own. Maybe you've tried you know, sharing your faith again and again with people and it just keeps going wrong. You keep getting stonewalled. You know, and when I started um, talking about sharing our faith today, your heart sank because you thought, I haven't even got enough faith for myself, let alone enough to share with others. Well, I believe the fact that you're here is evidence that you're mistaken about that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're, follow it, you're carrying Christ in you. And that, that message is, is an amazingly potent and powerful thing. It's a message that has the power to, to heal and to restore and to save those around you who don't know Jesus. A message so beautiful, it makes you a sight for sore eyes. And I feel like, you know, must, I need to be reminded of that sometimes, and perhaps some of you do too tonight. Um, I've been involved in evangelism and alpha here for a little while, and I've noticed something that I've heard people say in the past, but it's only now I've been seeing it that I've really experienced it for myself. And it's this observation that the people who, who, who bring their friends to church all the time, um, the people who are sharing their faith mo most prolifically, they often tend to be new believers. Um, they, just, they just love it. And I think it's because they haven't had time to, to forget how beautiful this message is. They're still captivated by it. And so they want to tell people about it. Um, the small group that I'm, that I'm part of at the moment, it's a bunch of, bunch of us who've just been through an alpha course together. And it's just, it's just the most amazing small group. It's always filled with, with encouragement, encouraging one another to come to church and bring friends. And, and last week, one lady in the small group, she shared this message 
with everybody on the, on the WhatsApp group we've got. She said, sometimes I notice so much change in me, it's a bit of a shocker, but today I'm going to sound like a complete Bible basher. I'm absolutely, totally in love with 2 Corinthians. It's just beautiful. And the rest of the group were just like, yeah, you go for it, you Bible bash. And actually that woman, like, she, she had a friend here this morning. Of course she did. She's bringing friends all the time. And if you've been around here for a little while, I guess the question that I've got for you is, you know, do you remember those days? Have you forgotten how beautiful the message is inside of you? Can you remember the last time that you looked somebody in the eye and asked them, would you like to know Jesus? Would you like Jesus to come into your life? Because I think about that myself, and I think sometimes my faith can become so normal to me that I think it's not worth sharing. So what I'd love to do to finish today is I'd, I'd love to encourage you to think of the people in your life. Think of the people that you work with, the people who you might do business with every day. Maybe think of somebody in your family right now who doesn't know Jesus or a person who you've come into contact with in public recently and had a bit of a chat. Picture them in your mind as I ask you Paul's questions once again. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching it to them? The passage continues, how can they preach unless they're sent? And I really hope that today has been a reminder that we have been sent, sent by Jesus to share this message of hope. And each of us will be doing it in our own different ways. But in each case, it will involve these things. It will involve taking ownership of this mantle, putting in legwork, but above all, by knowing that the message that you carry in your hearts is a thing of priceless beauty. In fact, it's the hope of the world.